So today's reading is from Genesis chapter 16, starting at the beginning all the way through to chapter 17, verse 8. So Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave, perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, "'You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. "'I put my slave in your arms, "'and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me.' May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. She answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there, between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had borne. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Thanks, Emily. If you've got a Bible with you, keep it open there in Genesis 16. Well, I wonder, have you, like Mr. Motivator, have you ever tried to take a shortcut on something, only to find out... um, it was a really bad idea and didn't actually make anything quicker. It just made everything worse. 
So my brother tells a story of when he was in his art class at high school. Um, now, apparently, when some people uh, are going to bed at night, instead of neatly folding their clothes or putting them in a washing basket, apparently some people just take them all off and leave them in a big concertina sausage on the floor. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. Well, anyway, my brother's uh, teacher had started the lesson, and he wondered why all the kids were starting to laugh at him until someone pointed out to him that he had yesterday's undies sticking out at the bottom of his trouser leg. So he must have just chucked all his clothes off, put them on again the next morning without realizing he'd left some underwear in there. So what seemed to be a shortcut for him might have saved him a minute, but caused him misery for the rest of term, probably the rest of his career. That's That's just the aircon going off. That's why the window's closed. Anyway, today's passage, Sarah and Abram try taking a shortcut to God's promise of children being fulfilled. So they take a shortcut off the path that trusting God will fulfill his promise to them in his own good time, off the path of obedience, down the road of taking matters into their own hands. Uh, So just to tell you where we're up to, we've been following Abram's story since chapter 12. Uh, We've discovered uh, Abram's not quite a hero of faith. He's more an encouraging failure for us. He's at least a bit wobbly, uh, but on the whole, in the long run, trusting God in faith. Uh, But sometimes acting in ways that show a lack of trust. And last week we saw him honestly expressing his doubts and questions to God. And yet the New Testament holds Abram up as a great example to Christians to follow. Because in the long run, he doesn't trust in himself, he trusts in God. It's God's grace, God's crediting Abram with righteousness that saves him. So remember in chapter 15 last week, God, the creator of galaxies, showed Abram the stars and said, that's how hard to count the number of your offspring will be. But as we start chapter 16, Sarai, Abram's wife, Well, she's run out of patience and tries to take a shortcut, tries to do it her own way. Um, I wonder what, it's probably a bit somber, what music do you want played at your funeral? Um, I heard of one where they were supposed to play Angels by Robbie Williams, you know, I'm loving angels instead. Uh, Instead they played, let me entertain you. Anyway, one of the, that's just a funny story, but one of the most popular pieces of music played at funerals these days, My Way by Frank Sinatra. It's a song that celebrates what most problems, what most people's problem with God is. I did it my way. My way in disobedience, living our own way, trusting in ourselves instead of living his, God's way, trusting in him. So for our outline today, I've used Frank Sinatra song titles for our headings. It's just the kind of weird thing that helps me. If it doesn't help you, you can ignore them and just go with the names, Sarai, Abram, Hagar, God. Just memory hooks. Don't get hung up on them. So first up, Sarai, my way. Sarai's longings to have children trump her trust in God to provide children. Her longings trust Trump her trust. Now, up at the top, let me say, I know that longing to have children and not being able to for some reason is a heartbreaking thing. And if that's something you're going through, I'm sorry for you and I sympathize with you. So 
please don't hear me in any way, in anything to say today, diminishing your pain or invalidating what you're going through. Um, Abram, uh, don't hear what I'm saying. Is a, 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 my critique of Abram and Sarah is not saying that you're wrong to be in pain about that. Of course, you're in pain about that. And in the culture Sarah I was living in, where children were important to you thriving economically, well, her status would be in large part uh, measured by the children that she produced. And Abram, you know, Abram's main means um, uh, exalted father. Imagine him meeting traders and his neighbors. Oh, Abram, exalted father, eh? How many kids have you got? Oh, yeah, none yet. So Sarai sees a potential shortcut and she takes it. So verse 1 and 2. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she, gave an Egyptian, she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. She said, The Lord has kept me. You can almost feel her seething, can't you? Trusting God, turning into bitterness against him. So Sarai's plan involves an Egyptian. So this shortcut she's taking is disobedient because although God's covenant promises of blessing will include all nations eventually, at this point in history, the promise of blessing is not for Egypt. And importantly, look whose plan Sarai is now trusting in. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, it's a weird plan, isn't it? And um, I hope you're impressed with the way Mr. Motivator said it in a child-friendly way, because I struggled to have <laughs> to convert that to a kid's talk. Um, but historians tell us this was common practice. You know, Hagar was Sarai's slave, her property, so Hagar's offspring would be considered Sarai's. So the neighbors would have thought it was a reasonable solution. But God wouldn't. The creation account has been really clear that bearing children is exclusively for the content, con- in the context of a one man, one woman, married to each other forever context. And anyway, God has directly, personally promised Abram children and reiterated that, that promise several times. But instead of taking God at his word, they take matters into their own hands. Verse 3. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai and his wife took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And immediately, it leads to trouble there and then that will lead to strife and conflict, which will be felt for centuries. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now we can all get to the point where we think God's plan's not working, or he's taking too long, and try to take matters into our own hands. We can do this in justifying to ourselves all sorts of immoral choices, because nine times out of ten, a much easier shortcut or so it seems to ease and comfort and pleasure now compared to the long way around of trusting God's ways. So we can do that in wrong choices. We can take try and take matters into our own hands when it comes to salvation. So trusting in Jesus 
is how we are saved into glorious, eternal, right relationship with God. But we always tend to drift towards trying to get to heaven through something we do. Jesus plus how holy we are, how, how many good works you do. Jesus plus a pilgrimage. Jesus plus all our signs of being a great Christian. So in choices we make, in trusting in Jesus, and we can feel the temptation to change what our church is all about. You know, come on, God. We've faithfully planted this church, but, you know, we're a bit down in number since COVID lockdown, and the soil here in the southern suburbs is so hard. No one seems interested in Jesus. And we know and trust that the, the Bible says that God will grow his church through the proclaiming of his word, but it could be tempting to try something else. Try to be more culturally relevant by relaxing some of those awkward sexual ethics. Play down the miraculous supernatural stuff. Keep quiet about hell and judgment. That's awkward, isn't it? Or let's try and make the services more emotional. Get, a, get somebody else in instead of me. Someone with real charisma, you know? Try to grow our church through emphasizing showy displays of spiritual gifts rather than just preaching the Bible. But God's plan is to make and grow disciples as his word is proclaimed and heard and obeyed. And often that is gradual and slow from our point of view and not dramatic, often mundane. But that's God's plan. God's promise. And the fruit will last for eternity. Now, if I'm saying, sir, I should have just waited and not come up with our own plan, does that mean we should never plan to do anything? We should just sit on our hands and wait around to see what God does? No, it doesn't mean that. There are loads of places in the Bible that commend making plans. So, for example, Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. We could point to hundreds more. It is good to make plans. But it is not good to make plans that clearly go against Scripture. And it's not good to make plans without consulting God. So there's a really good book called Time for Everything uh, by Matt Fuller. And in it, he kind of helpfully sets out how to think about... The book's really about how you spend your time, but it, it helps in lots of areas. So this next diagram. So this is a kind of an overview diagram. So... Uh, there's disobedience, there's neglect, so not meeting our obligations under God's plans. And then there's idolatry, taking the good thing and making that our idol, so we end up being disobedient to God's plans with it. But in between, there's great freedom. So the next slide, thanks. There's a uh, close-up. This is the work one. So neglect would be, you know, not working um, when you could be, only doing what the boss wants. Idolatry would be never resting, um, making work what you're all, your whole life is about. So there's two extremes, but in between, heaps of freedoms to make plans. So, you know, what job should you do? Well, there's obvious things. You can't be a professional thief or a sex worker. But in most cases, it's, well, what job do you want to do? Can you do it and it'll get God's purpose for work without it taking over your whole life? So it's good to plan. Um, We've been using a food delivery service in our house, so once a week a big box comes up with five recipes and all the ingredients you need to make them. 
Uh, and most of the time, it's not something we'd ever think of making ourselves. So I trust the plan. I follow the recipe. Even if it's stuff we don't normally like, so, well, that's what's on the, on the menu, that's what we're having. And nine times out of ten, it's great. But if I didn't trust the plan, if I didn't follow the recipe, uh, I could be saying, I trust the recipe. I, I know this is great. these are great recipes, but if I don't follow it, we'll end up eating something different, wouldn't we? So we can say we trust God's plans for us, but whether that trust is real or not is shown in whether we follow the plan, whether we obey, whether we trust. So trust expressed in obedience is always the right thing to do. Okay, that's Sarai. That's our longest bit. What's Abram's role in this? So our next section, Abram, something stupid, if you're following the uh, song titles. Abram's role is something stupid because Abram listens instead of leading. Now, did verse 3 sound familiar? Because the author has deliberately used exactly the same sequence of verbs as with the fall of Adam and Eve in chapter 3. So Eve took an apple. um, Sarah takes her slave. The taking and the giving of her to a husband. It's the same as in chapter 3. Abram going along with it without question, just like Adam did. See, Abram has had personal encounters with God, several of them, all promising him children. So Abram should have said to Sarah's plan, no, no, that sounds like it could cause all sorts of heartache. You're my wife and I don't want to sleep with anyone else. That would have been a nice thing for Abram to say, wouldn't it? Let's, hang on, hang on, Sarah. Let's compare your plan to God's promises. I mean, Sarah, you should have seen the stars that God showed me when he promised. Sarah, we can be so sure. That's what he should have said, but no. He goes along with it without saying a word. So here's it, Abram. You know, he's been a big man of faith, defeating kings with just his original 300 and rescuing Lot out of the battlefield. But at home... A passive wimp, doing as he's told, despite being the promise bearer. We need to know God's promises and plans for us, and we need to stand up for them in the everyday of our households, in the grind of everyday life. See, the Bible's not just action from the battlefield, kings and princes and prophets and demons, although it has all of that. God speaks to us through accounts of extraordinary things happening to ordinary people. And the Bible isn't rose-tinted. These people fail, they fall out, they disobey. So unlike uh, humanism or communism, the Bible is realistic and takes into account what people are actually like. And so it's so encouraging how God uses rat bags like me and you for his purposes anyway. So verse 4, Hagar conceives and immediately begins to have contempt for Sarai. You know, she's pregnant with the chief's baby now. Her status has gone right up. So you can imagine her rubbing it in, can't you? Oh, just pass us a drink, will you, Sarai? Oh, Abram, come and feel our baby kicking. 
Verse 5, Sarai tells Abram, all this is your fault. May the Lord judge between us. Oh, great. Now you're mentioning the Lord, are you, Sarah? Well done. Verse 6, Abram says, probably typical bloke response, look, it's your problem, leave me out of it. Wimping out again. Sarai deals harshly with Hagar. So that harshly word is the same word used in Exodus for the way the Egyptians treat Israelite slaves. Harshly. So, understandably, Hagar legs it. So let's just take stock of how God's chosen family, the family through whom he's going to bless all nations, is going. Let's see how the story's going now. Well, Sarah's lost faith, been cruel, and lost her maid. Hagar has shown pride and contempt and lost her home. And Abram has failed to lead, failed to trust, and lost his child. Yet God's plans are not derailed. They're not derailed, but things didn't need to be that hard. And we see this time and time again in God's dealings with humanity in the Bible. God has good, generous, and perfect plan for us, and we so often go against them, despite warning after warning of the misery it will bring. When Jesus was in Jerusalem, he reflected, this is from Luke 13, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. God is sovereign. What he wants to happen, big picture, in the end, happens. But you're often get the sense in the Bible that it could have all been so much easier if we'd only trust him. So the question is, are you trusting God? Are there areas of your life where you've, you've lost patience, you've taken matters into your own hands and gone your own way? Well, it won't defeat God's plans to save you. But it sure will make it much more miserable in the long run than it needs to be. Okay, so that's Sarai and Abram. Let's have a look at Hagar now. Hagar, someone to watch over me. And Hagar shows us that God cares for the outcast. God cares for the outcast. God loves those who no one else does. So it's interesting, Hagar is Egyptian, so she's not included in God's promises to Abram, except by means of being part of his household at this stage. And now she's left his household. But now she gets more than half the chapter about how God is kind to her. So verse 7, the angel of the Lord finds her on the way back to Egypt. So the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament sometimes seems to be just a messenger, an angel passing on God's words. Other places seems to be acting as God himself. So here, this angel of the Lord seems to be more representing God than being God's representative. Not super clear. We don't need to worry. But this message is from God. He speaks to her gently, tenderly. Verse 8, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Well, he knows, of course, but he's engaging with that. Our God is a personal, caring God. 
I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel makes some promises remarkably similar to those given to Abram. Verse 10, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Although hers will be a mixed blessing. Her son will be, verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Doesn't sound all that nice a life, does it? So next time you're giving someone a congratulations on the birth of your lady boy card, why don't you write on it? Genesis 16, verse 12. And you'll soon know if they've read it. So you think, all right, well, that's the plot done. Sarah, Hagar's going back to Sarah. We're all done, aren't we? Well, no. There's more tenderness between Hagar and God. Verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So this is the only time in the whole of the Old Testament where someone else gives God a name. So when no one else sees her, just whether or not she's bearing Abram the child, God sees her. And it shows us that whilst God's plans right now in Genesis are centered on Abram, God has always had the whole world, all nations, on his heart. God sees her, just like Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Uh, some people make out that they don't want to be known, don't they? I saw this clip in from a newspaper, thank you. Um, I don't know what the story was, but it says Tom McEldroon, who has to remain anonymous. <laughs> that's, that's a fail, isn't it? But God sees Hagar. And isn't that what we all want, really? For someone to know us, really know us, and love and care for us. God sees you. God cares for the outcast. And of course, left to our own devices, all of us are outcasts. We've all sinned against God and against each other. We all deserve to be shut out of heaven. Some of us feel it more heavily, more pointedly, because of mistakes we're ashamed of. But God cares for us. God sees us. And in Jesus... He's come to us in the desert of our sin to rescue us back into his blessing, back into right relationship with him. So Hagar has to go back to Abram and old grumpy pants Sarah because that's where God sent her in his blessing at this time. And sure enough, as promised, she gives birth to Ishmael. So it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be a straightforward life for them. And repentance, turning back to God, is painful sometimes. And there are sins in life, aren't there, that can be fully forgiven and yet have consequences that can't be undone and that we have to live with for the rest of our lives. But however far you've wandered, however much you've sinned, you can always come back to God. It might not be easy. It might not be straightforward. There might be consequences to live with. 
in this life. But God loves those that no one else will love. So that's Sarai, Abram and Hagar, uh, and the shamozel that they've created. Let's finish by seeing what, what God does with all this. So our final heading, God, come fly with me. That's the Frank Sinatra song for this one. Because God double downs on his gifts of grace. God double da- doubles down on grace. So in chapter 17, God responds to Abram and Sarah's failure to trust in his promise by reassuring them that his promise still stands in yet still stronger language. So 17 verse 5. No longer will you be called Abram, which means exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, father of a multitude. For I have made you a father of nations. God doesn't give up on Abram because God has made him a promise. He has said, I will bear your curse personally in Christ so that you don't get the curse of the covenant being broken. So what we learned from this odd chapter in Abram's life, taking a shortcut from trusting God leads to misery and disaster. Taking a shortcut from trusting God leads to misery and disaster. We can't scupper God's plans, but we sure can make things a lot harder than they need to be. We don't know better than than God. All of us will face things that we think will be better our own way, but the way of expressing trust and belief is in obedience, even when that seems like such a long way around. And we've seen that trust that wavers like Abram's, is still going to count. Abram is still a model of faith because the God he believes in is faithful. And we've seen that God sees us, that God loves those who no one else will, that God loves us so much he stepped in in Jesus to rescue us, to meet us in the desert of our sin, take us back into his blessing. So trust in God's plan to perfect us and save us through Jesus. It won't always be easy. It won't always be straightforward. But God is faithful and he will bless us beyond our greatest dreams. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you see us, that you love us when no one else would. You know us in all our detail, in all our sinfulness, and yet in Jesus, you come to rescue us. You show us grace. Please help us to see where we're taking shortcuts from trusting in you and your promises, and help us to trust you in obedience. We thank you in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. We're going to sing, uh, respond in song by singing of the God that we're trusting in, the rock of ages. <laughs>